Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. What's up, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of Straight Up Sabres, presented by the Hockey Podcast Network and the Charging Buffalo, brought to you by Thin Man Brewery. As always, I'm Brendan. And I'm Mike McDaniel. And Mike McDaniel, it's been a pleasure knowing you so long. We hope you enjoy a nice long vacation. It was a little bit of a nail-biter there. I didn't like it that much. Being a Bills fan was not fun today, I must say. Yeah, hey, it's Taylor here taking over the headset. Mike McDaniel is standing in my living room. He's wearing a weird shirt I can't understand. He says, I, I appreciate when it's 22 degrees, but I would specifically like it more if it was 71 and cloudy. I don't know what he's up to. Uh, he keeps looking at my refrigerator, and he's doing epic Reddit memes. I don't like it, and uh, <laughs> I'm, and the police are here, and they're going to kick him out. So let's move on to the uh, another team, the Buffalo Sabres. The Buffalo Sabres, yes, Taylor. The Sabres got back in the win column on Saturday as they defeated the Nashville Predators 5-3. to It was wow. the bounce-back performance that we really needed to see as the Sabres, unfortunately in this one, yet again took a lead and subsequently lost it before True. two third-period goals helped them retake control of the lead and ultimately win the game. Jack and, Quinn and- returned to the lineup, and he had a goal and an assist in the game, along with the return of his fellow linemate and rookie, J.J. Paterka, who had an assist on Dylan Cousins' goal. UPL made 38 saves, again, in this must-win game as the Sabres had dropped their last three prior to this one. So, Taylor, your thoughts on the win over Nashville? Dozens of bachelorette parties were delighted. <laughs> <laughs> the Sabres had it frankly they had the game that they were having uh every other game uh before the Philadelphia game last week which is, it seemed to mark some weird kind of uh anti streak over the course of two weeks it was not good everyone remembers that uh so th- this this felt like them getting back on track and it's even better than that in my opinion because Tage was playing very well as we all and see uh but he he didn't score and he he seemed almost kind of frustrated but even with tage not playing his best and not scoring two goals as we all respect all, all expect of him the team still did very well the team still scored five goals the team still won a game against a probable playoff team in the western conference and everyone did in, in, including Jeff Skinner, everyone did did very well, and I think that's a, uh, it's it's a good thing. It's a good sign when your best player is cold and the team wins anyway and wins going away. Well, and that's the thing is that the past few games, Tage really hasn't been scoring, not nearly to the clip that he had been prior to. We could even just say the All Star selection. Just really- I, I would say okay, 
going real quick, I would say that's actually okay. Like if Tage is instead of being on pace for 65 goals, let's see on pace for 50. If he slows down to that point, that's good. That's fine. Yeah. It has to oh, happen yeah. at some point. And these things happen and and they're going to happen. I'm not at all worried about Tage like being in a long-term slump or anything like that. But yeah, to your point, it was great to see that they were able to pull out a win, even in a time where maybe, yeah, Tage isn't playing at the his best that he possibly has been, you know, throughout the year. This year, Skinner, of course, yeah, had that nice breakaway goal there. And again, it was good to get some supplemental scoring. And I think as we had talked about with Jack Quinn and JJ Paterka taking a seat, you know, this has happened earlier in the year and they come back into the lineup and then they end up having a really good game. And that happened to be the case with this one as well, as again, Quinn had two points and Paterka had an assist. And so obviously that's great to see. However, that does speak to a problem that the Sabres do have. And I think it's fair to call it a problem. You know, I know obviously people can say, oh, well, I mean, it's not a bad thing that you have depth in your bottom six, but when it's coming at the expense of young, promising up and coming players that were, you know, first round picks are close enough to being a first round pick in the case of Paterka, but especially with, with Quinn and Krebs, you want to see these guys get nice time every night. And I think it of course can be attributed to the fact that the Sabres haven't had a lot of injuries up front, which is a good thing, obviously, but there is a big, yeah, yeah, there's a bit of a log jam there. So Taylor, what are your thoughts on that right now? As now Peyton Krebs is the latest young Buffalo Sabre to take a seat in the press box. It's funny that uh, one of the biggest problems at this point is that there's no one that's hurt on the forward core. Everyone is doing very well, it seems like. <laughs> it's, it's a funny problem to have. I, I think if they were, if this was a completely normal season, uh, their forward depth would have come in really handy for them. As it just so happened, though, their forward depth has barely mattered, while their defensive depth, uh, that no one, ha- oh, I should say, no one has the kind of defensive depth that would have been needed to cover what they had early in the season. Three defensemen being hurt, three of the top six. I mean, it's not good. I mean, everyone would have had to see, like, Lawrence Powell and uh, Casey Fitzgerald and Kelk. Like, everyone would have had to see that. However, with this current forward core, I, I think it, it it's almost like they we, we talked about it 10 million times coming into the season. That they have 14 or 15 forwards, and yes, they easily dropped Andres Bork, so that dropped from a 15 to a 14. And here's the thing, though. You love to have that. You love to have someone like if you have to have the depth to have Hinnestroza and Asplund come into the lineup. That's, that's great. The problem is that it's almost, I, I, I hesitate to say problem, but like no one has gotten hurt. So it's like, Oh, uh, what are we going to do with this depth? Because uh, once you get to the point where you're regularly sitting two healthy forwards, how two healthy veterans to that point and has throws and Asplund, you have to start looking for reasons. And that's where you back up to the point where we were at with Quinn and Paterka, who we all love long-term. And in fact, they were doing great this season. It almost took a minute for everyone to realize, even us, like me and Brendan didn't mention anything with that. You you try to think when they're uh, cold that they're, they're going to pick it back up. But like, I, I can't say I hated the, the whole deal where with Granado sitting them, because here's the deal. They didn't score at all, the two of them, for like a month. And that includes, like, obviously, the whole scenario of the Sabres having two months, or sorry, two and a half weeks off because uh, of the blizzard. So the two of them, Quinn and Paterka, were not productive at all. And, that, and that's a huge deal. Like, I mean, they were the second line. They were the whole reason the Sabres had an interesting potential shot at the playoffs. And they, they, we're playing on Cousins' line, 
and not scoring, not being productive at all. So sitting them, I thought was good. And then after two games, they go back in, which is what I would have expected to. I didn't think they were going back to Rochester permanently. And then all of a sudden, they're back in against Winnipeg, and they're scoring. And I think some people were like, why did you sit them in the first place? Whereas I feel like, and Brendan, you may feel like this way too, actually those two games sitting were good for those two. I agree. I do think it was. I, I think we kind of alluded to that before, that they had done it earlier in the year, and it had worked out then too, where you sit them, they have a night off. Because I think more than it being about a – it being something of like a, a disciplinary thing. I think more than that, it's a long season and this is both of their first full seasons in the NHL and playing 82 games. And with the schedule that they are playing right now, it's a lot for young guys and it's a lot to adapt to. And so if it's from the perspective of, well, let's give these guys a night off a night to watch the game from above again and just get some perspective, especially because it seems like maybe the schedule has been catching up to them a bit then, you know, that's not a bad thing at all. I'm I'm definitely in favor of that. To the point about Hinostroza and Asplin too, I think it's important to point out that the reason why it is such a frustrating situation, I guess, if we want to call it frustrating, is that they are currently on the roster right now, the 13th and 14th forward, but in reality, the quality of those two players are not that of the 13th and 14th forwards on most NHL teams. I mean, Asplund had proved last year that he is a very, very capable two-way player, especially in his own zone, and there's a lot of value in that. Hinostroza has shown that he has a place in this league and can be an every-night guy in a team's bottom six with the ability to, to move around the lineup a little bit there. And so it's great that you have that luxury for sure, but it's getting to the point also, though, where, again, we're going to have to keep wondering about what's going to happen with this bottom six long-term or in the, in the short term, I should say, as we are getting closer and closer to the trade deadline is one of are, are one of these guys going to potentially be used as trade bait or as a part of a deal. If the Sabres are maybe looking to make a move on the blue line and somebody gets included there, it seems like that would make sense. And I think a transition we can kind of look to here, Taylor is it may be a little bit more, I guess difficult of a conversation to have than it was a month ago when it comes to the thought of trading Victor Olofsson in particular, him and Middlestat have both been playing improved hockey as of late. Them playing on a line with Jost has been really solid as of late. They've had some very dominating stretches throughout the last couple of games here, specifically in the Nashville game, Olofsson scored his 17th goal of the season. Middlestad had an assist on that goal, and Middlestad, again, is on pace for an over 50-point season, which would be a career high for him. I still think it makes sense for us to move on from a guy like Middlestad and to really maximize the value that may be there as he's producing a lot of points. But while I still, I think, am more inclined to being open to the idea of trading Olafson than not, I think I'm starting to... Think about it a little bit more just because it is valuable to have a guy again with the shooting talent that he has there and the finishing ability that he has. We have to also consider in the long term with that, of course, that you have Yuri Kulich coming up the ranks next year. Isaac Rosine is a possibility. Matt Savoy, depending on how the rest of his year goes, is a possibility there. So it's really a matter of looking at where you know not only where these guys fit in down the stretch here, as the Sabres are seemingly hopingly or hoping to make a playoff run, but also in the long term here too. Like if you can really be think of, thinking about where these guys stand with their value as it is right now, as compared to what their long-term outlook or scope is for, for being on this team. Because I think specifically in the case of a guy like Olafson, 
he's playing well now. He's scoring a lot now. Is it that we need to maybe hang on to him right now? Or is it that we need to look at this is an opportunity for us to move a guy while his value could be extremely, extremely high right now? Because it also is important to say, too, that it's not just power play with him. He's been looking better at five on five as well. So where do you stand on that conversation, Taylor? I actually, with Olsen and Middleset, I have a general thought that goes back to Kevin Adams and the entire state of the NHL. But before we get to that, I have a uh, another thought. It's about our good Lay friends at DraftKings. Oh, we love DraftKings. Folks, the NFL playoff action continues. We're one step closer to Super Bowl 57. And for the NFL divisional round, folks, Folks. I'm doing eyebrows. I'm doing eyebrows right now. Looking like Windhorse with those eyebrows. <laughs> I'm, uh, hold on. I'm not doing the fingers. I'm not doing the fingers. <laughs> For the divisional round, check out DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. New customers can bet just $5 and get 200 in free bets instantly. That's right, folks. You bet $5 on the game. And if it wasn't around, you get $200 in free bets instantly. Plus, all new and and existing customers can take a shot and even bigger payout with DraftKings stepped-up same-game parlays. Boost your NFL winnings with each leg you add up to 100%. So this is the part where I talk about games I bet on. I bet on the Buffalo Bills, who I was I was at the game today. Uh, folks, I never doubted for one second they were they're going to win. I did doubt that they were going to cover. They didn't. <laughs> uh, but I I think Brendan would agree that the Bills did the most screwing around that you could do while also winning kind of moderately comfortably. That's a really good way of describing today's game, and I hated it. Hated it. They love making you hate the game. <laughs> 2022 Buffalo Bills, folks. Halftime of the Packers game and on Bills, folks. In 2022, they make you love to hate it. Anyway, if you do hate that and you're looking elsewhere in the NFL for action, download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use promo code THPN. Hockey Podcast Network. New customers can bet just $5 at any NFL game in the divisional round and get up to $200 in free bets instantly only at DraftKings Sportsbook with promo code THPN. Minimum age and eligibility restrictions apply. See show notes for details and responsible gambling resources. And now to our second sponsor, Thin Man Brewery. Thin Man has two convenient locations in Western New York on Elmwood Avenue and Chandler Street. Here's what they got going on this week. That's the well-worn boot. Directly named after our favorite Buffalo-based, dark, loud, flavorful, theatrical cowboy rock outfit. We're pairing this with a black IPA release, now available at Thin Man Elmwood. Thin Man has their very first smoked black lager. It's called the Power of Prophecy. And I say first, I mean first, folks. Thin Man has been open for seven years now. This is their first ever smoked black lager. If you're a fan of lagers... You might be a fan of Smoked Black Lagers. And Thin Man has their first ever one available. Only available if you go to the Elmwood Brewery. So, folks, you got to get down to Thin Man. You got to get the Smoked Black Lager. It is directly a reference to the show House of Dragon. If you're a, thin, if you're a fan of uh, Game of Thrones, 
You got to get into that. If you're if you if you don't if you are a fan of Game of Thrones or House of Dragon, and you don't get this beer, you're not really a fan, are you? Brendan, what do you? Shots think? fired. Shots fired. Everybody. Yeah. Well said. I've never watched the show, but I agree with what Taylor says. As is the case, if if Ta- what Taylor says goes on this show, that's right. I never watched House of Dragon either, because uh, I'm not a real fan. Because I hated the end of Game of Thrones, and I hold it against them personally. And as Brendan knows, I, I'm a I'm a real grudge guy. Big grudge guy. Taylor <laughs> loves a grudge. Yeah, and as Brendan knows, grudges are good. So for sure, never done anything bad for anybody before, right? I don't think so. I don't think I interpreted a grudge. Mm-mm. For sure. Anyway, so get down to <laughs> a, a thin man Elmwood and uh, get your black loggers, folks. We love it. We love it. Well, Taylor, where would we like to go from here? Well, where would you like to go, sir? I would like to go in a lot of directions. Can we talk real quick about teams that are worth? Well, I I feel all right. Here's the thing: this is not a great stretch for the Sabers the last two weeks. I think we can all agree, sure. even with winning their last game. Can we talk about quickly teams that are worse off than us? Sure. Let's talk about the Anaheim Ducks, folks. Oh boy, <laughs> we're just going right for it here. Okay. They thought they were so cool drafting Trevor Zegras, and where are they now? Here's where they are, folks. They're probably <laughs> be picking in the top five again. And to be clear, if they actually get win the lottery and uh, get Connor Bedard, they'll be doing the laughing. However, true, it is very funny to me because they are they're still shooting for like a one in five shot or less. That they were a team that was shooting for a playoff spot last year, had to sell, and now of all things, has to send Troy Terry to a playoff game. While the guy they sent at the deadline for $7 million, John Klingberg, uh, is kind of just rotating out like a 7-Eleven rotisserie hot dog on the blue <laughs> line. Right in, your thoughts. You mean Troy Terry to the All-Star game? Was that? Troy, Troy Terry's the All-Star game, and John yeah, Klingberg he, is a... Uh, is the rot- I, I like the John Klingberg analogy there a lot, as a matter of fact. Yeah, it's... <laughs> it's a tough spot that Anaheim is in. I mean, they really like, you know, they have some good young pieces there. Obviously, you said Terry. Mm. People have their thoughts on Zegris. I know a good young Ke- piece. Kev's favorite player. I know for sure. Uh, Zegris, I think, has become Kev's new Cole Caulfield from what I've been seeing lately from how he's been talking <laughs> about him. But uh, Folks, yeah, I mean, love, you got, we you got, love Troy Terry. We love a modern day uh, lesser man, Drew Stafford. There you go. Exactly. You know, they got Mason McTavish. You got Drysdale there. But, oh, Drysdale's good, but he's yeah, hurt. but you know, in goal, I mean, is John Gibson over the hill? I think a lot of people would probably say so. I think being, you know, that, that over the hill is an interesting way to put it, sir. Well, it's not necessarily. I thought you were say he just he sucks because yeah, he, sorry, he's younger than us. You have to say he sucks. It's you not his fault. I mean, Anaheim has just been pitiful, so like I can't blame him too much because it's just been bad. But Anaheim you also can't yeah, say he's they, over the hill. I I have to th- throw a challenge flag on that. He's not 30 yet. I would say over the hill in terms of he's already reached his peak in his career and is on the way down now. Oh, good Lord. That's everyone that's 30. Well, there you go. You you, you feel like I feel like you had a lot of real personal uh, stake in that response there. Your thoughts? 
Yeah, I think John Gibson sucks, and I think he sucks for like four years. I don't know why though, because he is one of the not the the, the guys you can normally be like, oh wow, we we've seen like seven thousand saves from this guy or seven thousand shots attempts. We're sure he is what he is, and then he gets a full season in Anaheim, and he's still good. He still brings them to like the conference final or or whatever he did, and then it's like oh, uh, and the, and now what? And he, yeah. now he's terrible. It's been bad. I don't, I don't know what it is. So I think he sucks. I think it's nothing to do with his age, actually. And we'll we'll forget all those things having to do with his age and everyone's age that's around the age of thirty. Uh, <laughs> but I do think, and now we're four years into it. I think he sucks, and they're stuck with his contract. They're not stuck with Klingberg, who we we're laughing at. But Klingberg's whole deal was he will either help them make the playoffs or they will be able to move him at the deadline and, and now, get something for him. Right. Right. Neither. Neither. Seemingly at the moment, who knows what happens at the deadline, but now he's been terrible. And speaking of so, teams, uh, by the way, speaking of teams worse than the Sabres in the trade deadline and things like that, did you see the asking price that San Jose currently has for Eric Carlson? Yeah, it's just not happening. There's no three reason for first round picks and they only retain what was it like 20% of his or 15% of his salary? No, there's just no there's no trade for Carlson. There is no trade for him. It's a, so I mean, don't know. so Carlson's signed for what five more years after this at I, the uh, highest salary in the NHL. I'll double I check, believe. but go ahead. If he's not the highest salary in the NHL, he's right there with McDavid. And the whole thing with uh, defensemen is McCarr should have set the market last summer. McCarr signed for less than him for less than a lot of people to be to be honest. I mean, McCarr could have done his whole own whole thing. And the four fact years that, left after this year, four years left for Carlson. He's uh, at 11, five at 11, five. Correct. Sorry. Uh, and 11, so the five. offer was, yeah, it was three. They're looking for the equivalent of three first round picks and they'll retain at 15%, which feels a little bit preposterous. And by a little bit, I mean a lot. Obviously Carlson has been great and is the Norris front runner right now, but still, you're going to be paying a guy of his age where, what is he now? He's got to be 32, excuse me. He's so he's 32 right now. You're going to have him on the books until 36 or 37 or so. And this is a guy that's had a history of injuries and you and I both have, I think been probably as hyped about as, as anybody about Carlson's comeback over these past couple of years. We've Carlson. We've probably talked about maybe as much as, like any non-saber, I would say. If you think about it, right? Like over the past couple of years, because he really like last year he was even especially if you can the... if you consider the Rick's Reviews era. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. I mean, because again, like obviously at that time it, we're talking about Ottawa when he was just like a, a cyborg, but really for these past couple of years though, and we last year we started to see him come back. He got hurt again. But this year, it's just taken it up to a whole new level where it's like vintage Carlson that we're seeing right now. Like we're, yeah, we're talking definitely. about, you know, 90 plus points from him at, in his age 32 year after everybody thought that after, you know, all of the lower body body injuries that he's had, that he was going to be washed. And look how he's playing now, which is great to see. So I do think that there is a world where there could be a move there. Like if you have a team that it makes enough sense where them retaining that 15 percent, I don't know what the math comes out to uh, off the top of my head, but like you're talking still at least like, you know, 7 million that you're going to be paying to this guy for four years. It, it, it is More a big that, ask. If it's, it's one a big fifth, move. it's going to be over 9 million. 
and it's fifteen percent. It's gonna be over, well over nine million. Well, there you go. That's it's, so a, huge, it's, it's huge a huge deal. deal. So three first round picks for that is it just it feels like it's a lot. Do I think that it feels impossible? Right. Well, that's the thing is like, do, is it possible to move him in general and like with some real value going back to San Jose? Yeah, but they need to drastically lower that asking price. It feels like for that to remotely even work out. But again, though, I think this goes back to a reoccurring conversation that we've been having for the past few years about San Jose that it just feels like. I mean, maybe now more so than like last year, or the, the the couple years prior, but that they're in denial about the fact that they just need to tear it all down. And partially that is because of the fact that they have these atrocious contracts like Carlson's, for example. And so if you're at the point now where you can actually get that off of the books, regardless of how good he's playing, because San Jose is not going to be a contender for the duration of that contract. And even if they are by like year three or four, by some miracle, you're still not going to want to have that 11.5 on the books at that point, even though they maybe can afford to. But again, aside from that, if you could get out of that deal, you should look to do that. And it's one thing to be able to get out of it in the first place, but to be able to get out of it with like legitimate assets coming back your way. That's not something that I think Greer should, should turn his nose up at. And if I were him, I would probably try and be pretty quick about making that happen because you don't know how much longer that that's going to be sustained with, with a guy like Carlson. 100%. We talked this multiple times. We love Mike Greer, and we, we both kind of feel weird. I think I can speak for you when I say that it feels weird that the Sharks are bad. <laughs> it's our life. They've been super yeah. good. And anyone, even if you remember the Sharks uh, their first few years, uh, then you remember them for a few years being bad because they've been really good since then. And the last three, four years, they've been kind of bad, and it feels super weird. And the fact that Mike Greer is taking over or has taken over for a year now – I, I'm ready for the guy. I like Mike Rear. And the thing is with what's going on there is that they have a billion guys under terrible contracts. It, it hurts them in ways I can't even describe. Like it's they're in a terrible contract situation. And Carlson is we've talked about this multiple times is a great example. Even when uh, the defenseman who shall not be named was still here, we compared him to the worst contract in the league, Eric Carlson at the time, Eric Carlson was yeah. a guy that couldn't move around on, on two feet as well as he used to. And now that he last year was the year like, Oh, Eric Carlson can still move around. Good for him. It's a terrible contract, but he can move around. He's getting older, whatever. And now it's like Eric Carlson, terrible contract still even, but now he is back to being the best puck moving defenseman in the league. No doubt. And, Frankly, the best offensive defenseman in the league, and there's no way around it. And I and I love Darlene, but Darlene is number two in the league to him on that. However, eleven and a half million dollars. Sorry, this isn't the MLP or NBA or any other every other professional league where that is just very manageable. You just can't manage that for a guy that you don't know is going to be healthy. Yep. And I think the long the long version of what I'm saying. Is what I actually the long version is what I said. The short version of what I was saying is that he's a great player and there's nothing you can do with him right now. And the Sharks have to hang on to him and hope they get good again. And they should be able to get good again with, with the picks they have and, and ho- ideally, hopefully, with the new GM. So you I, think I they think should hang on to him? Yeah, I don't see a way around this. I don't see a team taking. Uh, honestly, I don't see. 
someone being like, yeah, I'll, I'll give you guys three first round picks for. But no, 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 no. But but my or whole two point, first round picks or even one first round pick. My whole point is it. if if they back off of that and say somebody gives them a first round pick and a prospect, in your sense, I don't think Jose, that's worth it. What's that? I don't think that's worth it. Now that they have him for all these years, you can back off that idea. And he has so even all, with the with his injury history, you would bank on like Ooh, uh, keeping him around knowing that there's a chance that if he were to potentially get hurt again, that this could all come crashing down and his value tanks. And then again, you're on the hook for 11.5 for four more years after this. Well, here's the thing. I just think it's so risky for where San Jose is when they need to just completely well, tear it all down. It's risky for everyone else too. I don't think anyone else is going to do a reasonable thing. So I think what you do is, I think you kind of ride the lightning unless you were able to do a reasonable offload, which I don't think you can. At this point, I don't think you can do it. That's fair. That's fair. I, I would be very curious to see if they'd be able to. I don't know. If I were them, I I love Carlson, but I would try to get him off the books, I think. I would too. I'd be doing that immediately if that's I were what them. I'm saying. Yeah. But 100%. I don't I don't I don't think there's a reasonable way to do that that makes sense for both teams. However, however, the whole reason I say that is because the NHL is uh, devoid of risk takers, and as we know Ooh. that right now, because the Sabers should be trying to make a move. And I, look, I like Sabers fans. You might be getting to this point of so being like, "How are you not talking about this? Their playoff spot is slipping away." I agree. Here's the thing: it is impossible for us to know how much Kevin Adams is trying to make a trade. It really is. Of course, and it sounds like a cop out. It it just it just. I don't know how to talk about it. Like, yes, I would like well, to make yeah. a trade. I would like a better defenseman. However, it should be said, the context beyond the fact that you have no idea and not a lot of trades are made. The Jack Eichel trade was made during the season last year, and that was almost a – it's an in-season trade for sure, but it was a uh, – it was kind of not an in-season trade, if that makes sense. It wasn't that it wasn't an in-season trade. It was more like it was a off-season trade that was agreed to. And the complication of the neck injury and everything around that made it an in-season trade. It made it, made it stretch out to November, whatever he got traded. So that I, I would call that we would say extenuating circumstances. Beyond that, last two years, or you want to include uh, the weird uh, bubble here, trades in season have they happened? No. Mm-hmm. Is and I'm I'm being honest about this. Is the best player that was traded in season last. Two and a half years, Ryan Reeves. I'm and I'm counting Eichel as an. You're saying more towards like a a, more towards like the deadline. No, not no. Count out. We'll count. We'll we'll we'll. uh, I would say count out the deadline. So that three weeks. Well, it's two weeks before. It's like a general in season trade that's not the trade deadline, but not right at the start of the season, like Eichel. Well, Eichel, in general, is not. It's not the start of the season. Just he was extenuating circumstances. Okay, we agree, right? He would have been traded off season if not for yeah circumstances for sure. of his uh, neck injury. For so, sure. so who else got traded in season? No one, basically. Yeah, that's fair. I mean, it doesn't happen that often. You're not do- wrong. And it used to, but I mean, the Reeves thing is terrible. I mean, Reeves is like the biggest guy, and and I I wish I wish we were trading for Jacob Chikrin today, but I just comes down to what I think more and more about it. NHL GMs do not trade during in-season. Cowards. 
Nothing but a bunch of cowards. Taylor, do you have any recommendations for the people today before we sign off? Wow, that's a great question. Yes, I think I do. Do you have any recommendations, by the way, Brendan? I have an anti-recommendation, actually. And you know Uh-oh. what's even crazier? I'm taking a page out of your book, and I'm doing a movie anti-recommendation. Is it Amsterdam? No, it's The Menu. Wow, really? I like The Menu. Did you really? Yeah, true. I did like I The Menu. I really did not like it. I watched it yesterday for the first time, and it just didn't do it for me. I thought that... You think it's strong enough for an anti-recommendation, though? Yeah, I wow. would not recommend that other people watch it. I really didn't enjoy it. Wow, I really like. I think the menu uh, is not like a let's say Oscar level movie, but it's just just below that. I mean, it was trying probably to be that. I mean, um, the oh, I don't know. It just feels like I think I think in general the the menus um, the movie's view about. Um, it's almost art in general, but I guess it's it's specifically about uh, culinary art. Yeah. But I think the theme, uh, I guess you could override a little bit, was good. I mean, it wasn't it wasn't overpowering to the point where it's like, oh, my God, this this whole this is incredible. But I thought it was it was funny in general. But I, I, I think it struggles with character. I think in general, the characters were not strong enough. I uh, so that was a huge thing for me. I agree with your point about the themes and like the underlying themes with that and the messages is trying to get across. But it felt like some of the dialogue was kind of corny at points. I felt like there were. I don't know, there was just a lot of scenes that just didn't really hit the mark for me because I think of some of the acting and I think there were some good twists in it, but I just, I really just didn't find the story overall to be that good. Like I just, I don't know. It just wasn't. I'll tell you that. What though, it had one of my favorite lines of any movie in 2022. What's that? And says some podcasts I saw, I saw 20, 50, 57 movies, 2022 new movies. <laughs> and I had my, one of my top probably 20 favorite lines of the movie, which is, uh, it uh, it can do spoilers, right? If you're if you're if you're still listening to this, don't. If you're gonna watch the menu, I kind of recommend it. I think I recommend it already. Uh, it's whatever. It's an HBO. It's an hour and a half. It's not gonna waste your time. Brent, Brennan says, don't listen. To, don't watch it. I really so, didn't like it. <laughs> yeah. First, I, I, I tell you what we do. We'll split in the middle. First half hour. If you don't like it, get out. If you don't like fair. it, yeah, I I recommend that for a lot of movies actually. However, so now I'm doing spoilers. I can say that. Uh, John Leguizamo's character. Uh, which is based on, uh, I believe, Steven Seagal, which is very funny in hindsight. But anyway, he asks why his date has to die because everyone in the movie is going to die. And Ray Fine's character, by the way, I thought he was excellent as an actor. I mean, you may not agree, but I thought he was. No, he was. He was good in the role. But again, a lot of it was just like this cult of restaurateurs. 100%, yeah. I I don't know. I, I guess, it, like I said, just like the premise, I just didn't really. Well, I actually do a, a thing with, but anyway, I guess. But, but anyway, he, uh, John was on with that's why his date has to die. And Ray Fiennes says, like, where'd you go to college? She says, Brown. And he goes, student loans? She goes, no. He goes, I'm sorry, you're dying. Yeah. Well, that's <laughs> that was a great well. line. That was a great that line. That was a good I, one. I don't it was one of the ones I thought about after the movie. But anyway, and one other thing in general is. Uh, if you really buy into Ray Fiennes as a uh, movie star or just in general some of the camera movie, you would probably like it. However, I do have a, as you probably do, a, a problem with the setup. And again, we're doing spoilers, so you probably already heard what we did earlier. However, 
the whole deal with everyone dying, obviously everyone who is there has no choice but to die. I think <laughs> the whole time, like, I got the idea that, that I get it, like, the kitchens, especially the big fancy kitchens, people are uh, on a team to the point where they're, like, you know, willing to die for each other. I get it. But, like, I I felt like <laughs> that's that's the only time I doubted the movie. Is like people these these people that were willing to die for the like willing to die for his cause, including the the lady whose I who quote unquote idea it was for everyone to die. Well, that makes it even less realistic. However, I did enjoy it. Yeah, I feel like like I said, I agree with a lot of like the undertones of the film, and generally speaking, making fun of people who are like pretentious and douchey about being foodies. I guess I appreciate food and different kinds of cuisine as much as the next person but the people who take it a step too far and are just like ridiculous about it i i enjoyed that and with like making fun of them and everything and yeah i mean you know that like you mentioned the two lead performances had their moments but again i just thought the story was just kind of stupid i I don't know just it is pretty ridiculous however i would say it's not about i would say in general as someone who doesn't care about food um I should say not care about that seems insane. And I know it's uh, symbolic. I like, I like I'm just saying I thought it was. Well, I don't even think it's symbolic either. I, I think know. it's about art in general. Uh, and, and and I I think you can um. In in some ways you can kind of make it universal. In some ways it was kind of specific. So like in, in the universal thing, it's like um. About the idea of making uh, can, can the um con not contrast is the wrong word the I guess inherent struggle between making uh, art itself and making art for a living. There's that whole deal. They they make that very clear at yeah, multiple points. And then there's the the people that make you feel bad about making your own art because they're so embarrassing to be around, which is a very funny thing. And that but then there's the the other part where he's just like. To, again, John Leguizamo's character, like, I hated your movie. I had a day off. I don't get a lot of days off as a, a famous chef. I saw your movie and I hated it, which is a funny thing, but <laughs> I think in some ways that it almost falls flat. Yeah, but I, I mean, I, I appreciate I think I Did I recommend the menu like a month ago or two months ago? I don't actually remember. And I don't think I, you did. I, and again, like, I appreciate the point about that they made throughout about like kind of the either end of the the argument of on the one hand it's like you know in the context of it being with regard to food and everything like that that it's it is an art form and that there's so much attention to detail that goes into it and that there's so many people that act like they do appreciate it but actually don't or make a mockery of it because of how they respond to it or just think that it's something that's indicative of like a status symbol or whatever which is the perspective of obviously the chef in this in in the movie but then Anya Taylor Joy's character's whole thing is that the pretentious nature of the artist in this instance almost takes away from like the fun of the craft and the love of the craft and so well i think we should if we're going to since we already spoiled things we should already say it uh, to the point Anya Taylor Joy's character is a prostitute and I think that's a yes. very interesting um, connection to make between food and prostitution because I think you could more easily, especially in our modern day and age, not just with foodies and people who are super into food and uh, the food network or the, the various ways uh, you can be on food, Instagram, uh, social media in general. But 
Ray Fine's character makes a good point about how like and it's it, Anthony Bourdain's documentary last year said the same thing, which is like it doesn't matter how artistic you're making it. Forty eight hours later, it's shit. It's in the sewer. Like it is what it is. That's that's what it is. And I think Bourdain in real life, uh, despite his many struggles, understood that. And this character, um, Ray Fine's character, uh, has a, a terrible trouble with that. Uh, meanwhile, you have Anya Taylor Joy's character. Who is a prostitute? Which you don't learn. You never explicitly hear that, uh, but you learn that in the movie. If you're paying, I mean, not you're paying five percent attention, you'll understand what it's what's pretty going obvious. On. Yeah. yeah, it's extremely obvious. But he in the movie understands her immediately, and that's a, that's an easy way for the audience to understand her. But even if the audience doesn't understand it, it's kind of the same thing. It can be its own art form. It's a job. For example. Yeah, artistry has been a job in every way uh, since the beginning of time. Uh, he has one of the clearest and most recession-proof artistry jobs, which is a chef. Like it, it, it almost doesn't matter how fancy it is. Uh, he's going to have a job. He's going to have his job is going to be what it is, and people are going to eat his food because people always have to eat, and that's uh, even. Even if his his uh, restaurants that he, he owns are a little bit more, more or less fancy throughout the years, he's always going to have a job, which is the same as Bourdain. Whereas Anya Taylor Joy has the most recession proof job, which I don't know if I should say this in the podcast, but it is. It's the truth. It's it's the oldest profession for a reason. And I think in that in the in the movie, Ray Fine's character understands that, and he immediately recognizes her as a peer, which is why he's like, "Why don't you like you know." You have the option of uh, being with us, but everyone's dying for some reason. <laughs> um, That's what I but, mean. Like, again, why do all of his chefs and stuff have to? Why does the woman who it comes out that he like assaulted her? Why does she have to also die, too? Like, well, I think I think the movie almost covers it for itself in that way of being like it was her idea that everyone would die. But but why? Why? But so, why? Okay, there are there are people in, in general that I think and I see the point of the movie agreeing with that, but I just. It's a little bit ridiculous, obviously. But yeah. I think in the movie in general is solid watchability. It's not like uh, award level, although I don't know. So we're doing recommendations. I've been disappointed with some of the award level movies. But you know what? Mm. It, for the, you, the listener out there right now who's still listening to this, I pledge to you I will be seeing multiple award adjacent movies per week. I'm going to do it. Hell yeah, let's go. All right. I want to see I'll, the maybe whale. I'll watch some with you. No, you're not. Why not? You want to see the whale? Oh, the whale? <laughs> maybe. Perhaps. Hey, my namesake, my, my fellow Brendan, of course. Is he the, the pre- best Brendan uh, in America? Yeah, he, he's the president of the National Coalition of Brendans. Yeah. Everything... We have underground board meetings. He is our president. I love him. I love Can you think of a better Brendan? Who am I going to say? Brendan Shanahan? Well, that's a big three. Everyone always says it's a big three. Who? Brendan Fraser, Brendan Shanahan, and who? Me? Brendan Orr. Oh, wow. So. God, thanks. Yeah, so I, I, I just really recommend. Be, I just, uh, just beat out Brendan Lemieux. Oh, he died, by the way. <laughs> what? Yeah. Really? When did? Yeah. When... Oh, my God. Just a second ago. Do you have like a an inside source? Yeah, I'm I'm holding a, I'm holding a fax right now <laughs> from the fax machine. 
looks like he shitted too hard. Oh, that's terrible. <laughs> anyway, I have a recommendation too. Uh, if anyone's still listening, I actually this is pretty crazy. You might be surprised to hear this for the first time ever. Last night, I watched Boogie Nights. Oh, okay. Boogie Nights is a to say it's a famous movie is uh, you know to say the least. It's a Paul Thomas Anderson's first wide release. Mark Wahlberg's uh, big break. Yep. Yep. All things, oh man, I, there are so many f- great performances in that movie. I can't even. I, I, I mean, and there also are so many like this is a, a, a terrible way to judge a great movie, but memes out of it. But the William H Macy meme is one of them, and in general, I I can't say enough about a lot of the performances. It's, man, I in general, I feel like lost for words. Like I just I can't say enough about the movie in general. And I think Paul Thomas Anderson, great director, obviously. And I, uh, I, I'm almost saying too much about it already because I, everyone kind of knows Boogie Nights is a, an incredible movie, and I, I, I felt moved watching it. It's a, uh, it's a fantastic, unbelievable movie. And uh, just going on what I said earlier about the awards thing, everyone was talking about Babylon as a, a Boogie Nights regular, and uh, I liked Babylon for the first, uh. Know, two hours. Is it worth seeing? Minutes. I was curious. I wanted to watch it, but then Man, I heard it is really long. Reviews. Yeah, you know what the thing is? It's the first two acts, which are incredibly long, are really mm-hmm. good. Actually, who knew the spoiler thing? Everyone, spoiler, don't listen to this. Whoever's watching Babylon, when you're watching Babylon, Brandon and anyone else, there's a scene with Brad Pitt, kind of signals his end of the movie. When that's not the end of the movie, but it's the end of his part of the movie. He kind of moves on. He's an older guy in the movie. Uh, when that happens, you can leave the theater. You're gonna be curious to see how the movie ends, but you won't be disappointed if you leave when I tell you to leave. In just a half hour in, huh? That's all. No, two and a half hours in. Oh, that's when Brad Pitt's thing. Yeah. How long is the movie altogether? Oh my god, three hours and eleven minutes. Sweet Jesus. Sorry. So Brad Pitt's thing might be more like two fifteen. 220 ish, but he has an exit. You know, when it's an exit, and you'll, you'll know when you watch it. Sure. Uh, the actual one of the movie, I think, and I say this as someone that really liked Babylon. Sorry for the tangent. I liked Babylon. Uh, I watched the end of that movie and I was like, Are you fucking kidding me? And then I literally, I, I, I watched it and I got out of the house. I got out of the house because it was during a, the, the fucking blizzard. So it had been a couple days. I walked all the way down to North Park and Hurdle. And I, I liked the whole fucking thing. I really liked the movie. I was watching it. I was enjoying myself. I, I, I was formulating a take in my head about how movies are as long as they should be. Some movies should be an hour and a half. Some movies should be three hours. I was doing the whole thing. And then the end of the movie happens, and I, I don't want to spoil it for people because people are going to see it. But like, I watched the end of the movie, and I was like, are you fucking kidding? What, what are you doing? Damien Chazelle, you made a great movie. What are you doing? What are you doing? And when you see the movie, you now know I'm what worried, I mean. Now I'm nervous. And, unless you walk out exact the Brad Pitt scene, the exact Brad Pitt scene, you'll know, you'll know when it happens. You walk out when that happens, trust me, you'll have a great movie. So was it a sad – would you say the movie would have been significantly more satisfying had it just ended right there? No, I think the movie. You know what? I can say this after the Oscars. What my thought on the movie is because I don't like to say how movies should end in general because I think they're they're making the movie. I, I I'm just watching it. Wait, sure. On one hand, it means that I shouldn't have a better ending than you, Damien Chazelle. 
I have one, by the way. It was what you almost had. Anyway, <laughs> so it there there was a good ending because it wouldn't have made sense the way my ending. Just leaving when Brad Pitt's part of the movie is over. Uh, it it my ending doesn't make sense. However, there there is an ending, and I will. Uh, I think I'll do a maybe I'll have more takes on this after the Oscars. I don't like to do too much before that. Um, I think there's a there was a real good way to end it that would have been very moved by. I'm I'm kind of an easy mark when it comes to movies. Uh, it's almost about it's about the debauchery of Hollywood and yet the magic of movies kind of thing, which I'm I'm an easy mark for. And the fact that they fumbled the bag at the end for me of all people, that's mm. terrible. And I still I still really like the movie. I still really like Margot Robbie's performance. I liked everyone's performances. But anyway, when people were talking about Babylon. The people that talked about positively outside of the end of the movie were talking about the um, how similar it was to Boogie Nights, and I, through all the years, even though I like, I love, not like, I love Paul Thomas Anderson and his movies, uh, I had never seen Boogie Nights, and I watched it this week. This is a long recommendation, but I'm going to tell you right now, folks, Boogie Nights is longer than this recommendation. It is about two hours and forty minutes. Oh, and it's worth every second. It's about um are you ready for this? It's about pornography. Mm. But it's about more than that. You think I'm gonna say a bunch of themes right now? I was... you figure out that you do those themes for yourself, folks. <laughs> I told you the easy part. I told you the part to watch it. <laughs> you did your job. Yeah. All right. Well, that's a good recommendation. I like it. I think it didn't take long enough for me to do that. I think you should probably talk about it for a few more minutes. All right. Here's the thing. Mark <laughs> Wahlberg, I think is a, carries a lot of weight these days, mm. in both directions, uh, like, or don't like, and everyone knows Mark Wahlberg's baggage and people that like him know all his positive things. I'll tell you what though, this movie carries none of the Mark Wahlberg baggage. Cause he is so young when it happens. He's Marky Mark in this movie. And your thoughts on his performance. Yeah, he's good for what he is. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's exactly what you would expect out of him. I think, okay. was, which is one of the 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 brilliance of PTA is he didn't expect the strongest performance out of him. He expected what he could, he got more than you probably would have thought out of 1997 or whatever. Mark Wahlberg, sure. but uh, he was like he understood immediately, and I think intensely is like I could get a lot out of not just Burt Reynolds, but like 1997 Julianne Moore, who is she is. Forget a year. She's one of the best actors we have in American history. Oh yeah. So her Billy on the Street, both many, I should say all of them are pretty phenomenal. Did you see the one where she like is acting to the people? Like, as have you have you seen her on Billy on the Street before? I haven't seen her. No. Oh my god, dude! Billy on the Street gives people a dollar to listen to Julianne Moore pretty much read like very very dramatic scenes from her past movies and she does it like full on in character and then afterwards it's just like oh yeah thanks i appreciate it so much like it is but she's like <laughs> doing stuff where she's like screaming at them like full on in like it's so so good highly highly recommend any of the julian i'll send it to you after this taylor but any of the julianne moore episodes of billy on the street just watch them because they're they're awesome oh that's incredible anyways though yeah, that's that's great. I mean, she, I mean, she's in the two big like uh, male '90s things. She's in this and also um, the Big Lebowski. Mm -hmm. um, but however, she's also in Thirty Rock, where she's 
kind of shockingly hilarious. Not 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 shocking that she's funny, but the, the way she immediately embodies a uh, Boston persona. Have you ever seen this? I haven't. No, I haven't gotten to that point of my my Thirty Rock watching. Actually, it's honestly she she plays Jack's old um high school classmate, and she like is. I forgot what her exact uh, line is, but she's trying to pretend she um quickly or jokingly is trying to pretend she married a more diverse person than you would expect from South Boston. Mm. Jack is like, oh, you know, Uckbald's character. Oh, really? And she's like, no, I'm an Irish moron <laughs> <laughs> who was a roofing company. And it's just like her whole her whole scene. Oh, my God. She she nails that role. Just a, a role in the sitcom in 2008. Like it probably didn't mean that much to her. Uh, Aces. I mean, she's so great. She's great in everything she does. Don John, folks. We love Don John, don't we, folks? We really do. We really do. So how are you feeling about the divisional round next week? Yeah, back to Buffalo. That's a good point. Um, We're recording this while the Bengals and Ravens are about to play, right? Yep, just about to start. And uh, I got to say, I feel pretty good. I mean, how could you not? Is Micah Hyde definitely out next week? Uh, I don't think that's definite. Cause I oh, well, the Giants won today, huh? They did, yeah, man. Brian I'm just Dable looking now, making it happen. I uh, I will say my confidence in this Bills team goes up exponentially the minute Micah Hyde steps back foot on or steps foot on the field again, regardless of whether he is at a hundred percent or that man is at seventy percent. My feelings on this team just get drastically better with him in the fold. So hopefully he is able to come back because he really changes everything for that defense. And on top of that, I got to say, I I really thought that he was starting to like turn a corner and was like going to be, I I mean, he has been, I guess, better than from where he was, but you could tell like the elbow thing is still like Josh is not the same as he was before then. And it's a little bit disheartening. I must say. 100%. Um, I think in general playoff, Josh, when he needs to be there is there. So I agree. I think, I think you will probably see that next week. That's my guess. I would think, I mean, next week is like the one where it's like, okay, now the, the bright lights are going to be on and that's really whether it's Jacksonville, but obviously way more. So if it's Cincinnati, hundred percent, however, I'm looking right now. So for those who, uh, are not in the, uh, in the know, Brendan and I recorded this after the Bills game, after I got home from the Bills game. And folks, uh, it took a while. And <laughs> the Bills game uh, was a long one, I think we could all say. Five so, o'clock it went till, right? Basically, yeah. So the, the Giants and Vikings game started long after I, well, basically it was going on the entire time I was driving home. And then I, I got here, been doing the podcast, so I haven't been able to look at this. However, I'm looking now, and folks... <sighs> It seems like Kirk Cousins might have choked. <laughs> you don't say. <laughs> you know what? I'm actually mad about the, the the Vikings making the playoffs in general. They they ruined one of my good favorite stats, which is that only Randall – no, not Randall Cunningham. Actually, Dante Culpepper was the only guy who would started two playoff games for the Vikings. They had their last, I believe, 13 playoff games before this one. They had 12 different quarterbacks. Hot. That was a stat. It was good. That is very good. Yeah. Well, anyway, that's that's all my recommendations and uh, takes. So, folks, that's that's what you got to do. You you, you gotta... ran out of takes. Is the has is the day finally come? Wow. No, I have way more takes, but I'm I'm not going to share them yet. I have to keep some for Thursday's episode. 
That's right. And Thursday's episode, we will be previewing Ryan Miller night, which will be going down on Friday. Uh, as a reminder, everybody, the Sabres play twice before you'll be hearing from us next. They play on Monday night against the Florida Panthers at home, and then they travel to Chicago to play the Blackhawks on Tuesday evening. So started off with a, a pretty important divisional game there as Florida's right near us in terms of the standings. And then you have a game against the very, very bad Chicago team that you absolutely should win leading into what will be a glorious, beautiful, emotion filled evening on Thursday night as the Sabres are set to retire Ryan Miller's number. So we'll be spending the episode on Thursday talking about our favorite Ryan Miller memories reminiscing on the good times and it's going to be really great looking forward to seeing it all in person 100 percent, same as well and we're and we're getting closer to again as a reminder we have our trivia night buffalo sports trivia night coming up january 25th 8 p.m at thin man brewery elmwood going to be a really really great time so make sure you have that marked on your calendar there's no pre-registration or anything like that get your squad of folks together all your pals Get ready, get a team, and we'll uh, we will see you then. But with that being said, everybody, this has been another episode of Straight Up Sabers presented by the Hockey Podcast Network and the Charging Buffalo. Make sure you're checking out both the presenters of this podcast on their respective websites, whatever streaming platform you're currently using to listen to this episode. Make sure you're checking out all of our fellow shows throughout both networks, and make sure you're checking out both of the networks on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, where you could also find us, Straight Up Sabers. And again, wherever you are currently streaming, make sure you are subscribed or following Straight Up Sabers and leave us a nice little review. We would very, very much appreciate it. Last but not least, make sure you're checking out both the sponsors of this podcast. First, we have DraftKings. Use that promo code THPN at checkout to take advantage of great deals, whether it's on football, hockey, basketball, anything, any of the sports going on right now. Get those bets in and use that promo code to take advantage of great deals at DraftKings. And Thin Man Brewery. Make sure you are checking out Thin Man, whether it's for dinner, whether it's to watch an upcoming game, whether it's to go get a drink after work, whatever it may be. Go check out Thin Man, whether it's to go to a Buffalo Sports Trivia Night on January 25th, whether it's to go to a local cover band that's performing at Thin Man Chandler on Saturday the 21st, this coming Saturday night. Who knows? Whatever it is, you should go to either of their locations again on Elmwood and Chandler Street in Buffalo. We'll be back with a brand new episode. Both nights just to say just to be safe. You should go both nights. I agree with that. Good call, Taylor. Well, everybody, we'll be back with a brand new episode on Thursday. Thanks. Thanks so much for tuning in. This has been Straight Up Savers. Yeah.